0: Well, in our country, we've had a lot of tragedy happen. Sometimes when you step back and you look at the big picture problem or the heart of the problem, you wonder, man, is our nation ever going to come back to God? And the question is, what is the cure for a blind and dying nation? And the cure is that our eyes are opened by Jesus. We need to have our eyes open to the truth to see things the way God wants us to see them. That's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. He approached Jerusalem, the holy city, and at Bethpage in Bethany. Uh, Bethany means the house of dates. It can mean the house of depression or misery. And uh, this is near the Mount of Olives, and he sent two of his disciples Just Bible students, Bethpage is a small town just east of Jerusalem. Its name literally means house of unripe figs. Just note that because that's going to take a very significant uh, connection to a fig tree that Jesus is going to speak to in this account. A fig tree that doesn't produce and Jesus is going to actually curse the fig tree. So Bethpage, the house of unripe figs, and he said to them, "Go into the village opposite you. Immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has yet no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here." This colt was specially set aside for the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, I've commented in the past, but uh, kind of if if this had a modern face, it might be someone saying to you, uh, "The Lord has." need of your Mustang right now. So will you release it to me? I don't know what you might do in that situation. You know, can I see a handwritten note? You know, does it have Jesus's signature on it? Anyway, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? (laughs) Jesus anticipates the question. You say the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. I just, I've made this application before, but I want to just say it again, that Whatever the Lord has need of in your life, would you be willing to release it at a moment's notice? Is there anything too precious to you that you've put above God that you wouldn't let it go even if he asked you to? And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, By the way, a side note, this reveals once again Jesus' sovereignty or providence or knowledge. He knows, anticipates what's going to happen. They gave them permission, and they brought the colt to Jesus, put their garments on it, really as padding, and he sat upon it. So Jesus is getting ready now to make this historic ride, and many, there was a big crowd there, they were moving in for the Passover season, verse 8 many spread their garments in the road and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. The New King James says, many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This was more like a uh, scene that you would see at the Feast of Tabernacles where they would take the a combination called the lulav and they would wave it during the Feast of Tabernacles and they would sing antiphonal praises and that kind of thing. But people recognized that the king had come. And some people were saying... Some have commented that maybe people were doing a direct reference to tabernacles because they were saying Jesus is God and he's come to tabernacle among us. So let's, let's do what we do during this holiday. Let's, let's honor him as the coming Messiah or the coming king. And they were laying these uh, myrtle branches and so forth, palm trees in the road, and they were proclaiming him. They were laying their clothes in the road saying, "You, our clothes represent us and you have mastery over us. And those who went before and those who followed after were crying out, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." The word "Hosanna" has Hebrew origin, and it's really from Psalm one eighteen, and it sa- and it really means "Save now" or "Save us, we pray." So, as the people began to proclaim him, they were crying out based upon Psalm one eighteen, and the rabbis knew that Psalm 118 was a messianic psalm. That is, it was a psalm about the coming Messiah. And so they were saying, if we translate it into modern English, save us now. That's what they were saying. Save us, we pray. Save us, O Lord. What a great prayer. What a great proclamation. What a great thing for any generation that is in, in trouble to say to God, to say to Jesus, save us. The first thing you need to do if you want to enter into a relationship with the living God, as you need to say some, some prayer like that. You need to say, Hosanna. Save me, Lord. Please save me now. Please have mercy on me. And they said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. In the Jewish mind, David was the greatest king. And so one writer has put it this way. This is probably how they did it. The first group said, Hosanna. The second group said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would go back and forth. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And then the first group would say, Hosanna in the highest. And back and forth they went. And the people were rejoicing and they were celebrating and they were waving the palm branches, laying their clothes down. Jesus is making this triumphal ride. Everybody's excited. Everybody's happy. Everybody's rejoicing. Well, not everybody. Some people were upset. It was the religious leadership who said, Tell the people not to say that. Don't let them laud you as the Messiah. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if these are silent, the very what? Stones or rocks will cry out. Some people think that he was referring just just to all the rocks in Jerusalem. Some people think that he was referring to the stones of the temple, which is supposed to be his house and a house of prayer for all the nations in essence, Jesus is saying, look, even the stones of the temple are going to cry out. You could take it either way. But Jesus was saying, look, creation's going to cry out if these don't cry out. And he entered Jerusalem, verse 11, and he came into the temple. And after looking all around, he departed for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. Mark's gospel gives us an insight, and it says that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, He examined the temple. He looked all around it. What do you think he saw? He saw commerce. He saw the Bazaar of Annas in the court of the Gentiles. What is that, Pastor Michael? Well, it was basically a market where they were charging exorbitant prices to people who were trying to buy sacrificial animals for the feast. It was a racket, it was a ripoff. It was all the worst of humanity turning something that was sacred and something that was supposed to honor God and people who were trying to find out more about God and it had become a merchandising area. It become the ugliest of the ugly when, when for, you know, uh, on religious platforms, people start to make merchandise of people. I know that doesn't happen today. And Jesus did his own examination. And I suppose it would be Beneficial for us to say that if Jesus came into one of our church services and looked around, maybe if he looked at the heart of our worship, the passion of our evangelism, what would he do? What would he say? On the next day, verse 12, when they had departed from Bethany, he became hungry. Jesus did get hungry, just in case you wondered, he did get hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, remember it's springtime, it's Passover time, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Some say, well, was he looking for edible buds on the tree? I mean, this was not the season for figs. That's what Mark tells us. The fig tree, according to what I've studied, really begins to blossom fruit in in June. So why did Jesus select this fig tree? And what is the message? He came looking for some fruit on it, but he found nothing. He found no fruit. And many have commented, and I think you've probably heard this before, that the fig tree sometimes in the Bible represents Israel as a nation. And he came and looked for fruit on the tree and found what? Nothing. You know, several times in our Bible, we're told that when gospel preaching happens, it's, it's repentance and faith is preached, but then this should be added. Bring forth deeds in keeping with repentance. You could look at Luke 3, verse 8. You could look at uh, the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul preached just that. When people repented, there was an expectation that fruit would follow repentance. In fact, we might argue that one of the main markers of genuine repentance is fruit that follows Because someone can say all day long, I've repented of my sin. But if there's no fruit on the tree, you better go re-examine the root. Amen? If you're planted by streams of water, Psalm chapter 1, you will bear fruit in season. Look, you're not going to be perfect. We know that. But there's going to be a change. There's going to be some fruit in your life. And Jesus looked for fruit, but he found none. Part of his examination was the temple area, and perhaps this tree uh, reflects what he saw in the temple. The tree was in leaf. Perhaps from a distance it looked promising, but there was nothing on it. Now, I would like you to turn to an Old Testament book called the book of Micah. Okay, it's just after Jonah. So if you'd locate that, I'm going to read an Old Testament verse from Hosea, but find the book of Micah. If you have those cheater tabs, it shouldn't be a problem. If you're on an electronic device, it shouldn't be a problem. If you're old school, just uh, cheat and look on with your neighbor. Ask them for a page number. <laughs> Hosea 9, verse 10. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your forefathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in its season, first season. This is Hosea nine ten. But they came to Baal Peor and devoted themselves to shame. And they became as as detestable as that which they loved. Now, if you've located Micah, you want Micah 7, verse 1. As you do some study on Jesus coming in for his triumphal entry and his examination of the fig tree, many scholars will point you to Micah 7 and they will say, Micah 7 is probably what Jesus has in mind, scripturally speaking, as he approaches this fig tree. Let's read it together. Micah 7, uh, he is a, uh, a man who's prophesying primarily to the southern kingdom, a contemporary of Isaiah. He says, woe is me, Micah 7 verse 1, for I'm like the fruit pickers and the grape gatherers. There's not a cluster of grapes to eat, Or a first ripe fig, which I crave. The godly person has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among them. Now, here's the connection, and I'll just I just want to draw the application. We'll come back to the passage. When you look at godly leadership, we can talk about servanthood. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. I believe that's important to look at. We can talk about courage. Jesus knew what he was facing. And he knew that he was gonna die and a leader should be courageous. Joshua's told a number of times in the Old Testament, be strong and what? Courageous. Do not tremble at them for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. Servitude, a servant's heart, courage. But here's a third principle for leadership and it's this, righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. What is righteousness? Righteousness. It's doing the right thing. It's living the right way. And the, the fig tree becomes a picture of a lack of righteousness in the nation. Notice how it follows. It says, The godly person, Micah 7, 2, has perished from the land. There is no upright person among them. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm gonna tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional. It's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com. Scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer, and our prayer is that it'll get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. It says, The godly person, Micah 7, 2, has perished from the land. There's no upright person among them. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe. And a great man speaks the desire of his soul. Uh, NIV says the powerful dictate what they desire, so they weave it together. NIV, they all conspire together. I, I look at the landscape today, I, sometimes I pick up the newspaper and I find out, you know, there's been money laundered from this government agency. This person, you know, says this behind closed doors. This person says this. And, and you start to go, what in the world? Is there any righteous person on this planet? Is everybody cheating? Are all these back room, behind closed doors conversations happening? And what does the Lord think of all this? And I'll tell you what, here's where I find solace. I know that the Lord hears those conversations. I know he sees behind the veil, even when there's a massive confusion and it's hard to figure out the facts. And you watch news reports that vary, you know, from one from another. And people have this take and that take. And you say, how do you ferret through these things? I don't always know. But I'll tell you this, God knows. God sees the corrupt business deals, the corruption in government, and and we could add a lot of corruption in the church. And here we are. The best of them, verse 4, is like a briar. The most upright, like a thorn hedge. (laughs) Doesn't sound too pleasant. The day when you post a watchman, your punishment will come. Then their confusion will occur. Do not trust in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a friend. From her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. Be careful with even the closest around you. For son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That might sound familiar to some of you because Jesus said that was going to happen to the apostles. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I just wrote in my notes here, we need to pray. You know, Micah looked at his generation and he said, oh Lord, the best of them is like a prickly thorn bush. There's no righteousness anywhere. It seems like it's all gone. And look, maybe sometimes these prophets are using hyperbole. Maybe they're broad brushing. And we know that there's some good people in our land But there were times in Israel's history when they looked around and they said, you know what? Is there anybody left that does the right thing anymore? Is there anybody left who is willing to to take a stand for what's good and right and true? There are the few. And the few that do take a stand seem to get themselves in trouble. (laughs) Back to Jeremiah, if you would. Um, There's a few voices in our generation that are trying to stand but it's becoming more and more difficult to stand for righteousness. They paint you as an idiot. Let's, be, let's just be blunt. You take a stand for righteousness, they want to marginalize you. They, they put a label on you. And that's how they try to brush you aside. Jeremiah 8, verse 12. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They certainly were not ashamed, Jeremiah eight twelve. They did not know how to blush, Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time of their punishment, they shall be brought down, declares the Lord. Jeremiah eight thirteen. I will surely snatch, snatch them away, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine, no figs on the tree, and the leaf shall wither. And what I have given them shall pass away. Why are we sitting still? Verse 14. Assemble yourselves, let us go into the fortified cities, let us perish there, because the Lord our God has doomed us, given us poison water to drink, for we have sinned against the Lord. We waited for peace, but no good came, for a time of healing, but behold, terror. Now let's go back to Mark. I know you're all very glad you came to church this morning. (laughs) But look, let's, let's, let's take the Bible for what it says, and here's the deal. Many times when you read Old Testament books, you're reading settings where God was warning a nation, the nation of Israel primarily in the Old Testament, and it didn't always end well. Sometimes there were big revivals, sometimes there were times of awakening just when it looked like it was hopeless, but oftentimes it ended very badly. The cure was always the same. It was always a nation who admitted that they needed God and returned to him. You could call it a great awakening, and we need another one. Wouldn't it be refreshing if we watched one of our political leaders walk up to a podium, get on their knees and repent and lead our nation back to God? Wouldn't that be refreshing? I think that's what we need. And there are are people in our world who will laugh at that. Say, what good is that going to do? Oh, that will do a lot. So, Jesus is at this fig tree and he sees no fruit on it. Mark 11, verse 14, and he said to it, speaking to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Jesus cursed the fig tree. Now, some people say, Poor fig tree. What did that fig tree ever do to the Lord? People seem to be more concerned about fig trees than they are about babies in the womb. But that's another discussion. But, you know, some some critics of the Bible say, this is terrible what Jesus did to that fig tree. (laughs) Really? It's a fig tree. (laughs) It wasn't producing fruit. But there was something much more symbolic happening. The fig tree represents the nation. The earliest commentary uh, found very early in church history says the fig tree here represents the nation. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and he began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. This is a radical statement about Jesus. Isaiah six six says, a voice of uproar from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who is rending recompense to his enemies. Isaiah six six. Jesus did some business in the temple, folks. Amen? Can you imagine if you were standing with Jesus and he did this? Would you, would you be going, oh, Jesus, calm down. I mean, <laughs> Jesus, isn't this a little harsh? Is there a time to turn over tables and to show some righteous indignation? Apparently, Jesus did it, and I don't think there was a lamb around his neck when he was turning over the tables. In fact, other gospel accounts said he made a whip. You thought Indiana Jones was bad, right? <laughs> and he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. And in, in essence, he said, you're not coming through here. Stop it. And he began to teach them and say to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a robber's den. Oh. They would go into the temple and in Old Testament times, they thought if they were in the temple, no matter what they had done outside of it, they could find sanctuary there. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this, and they began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for all the multitude were astonished at his teaching. And when ever evening came, they would go out of the city, verse 20, and as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. This had to bring some questions. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, Behold, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. Now, I'm going to quote verse 24, and then I'll come back and make a comment on the previous verse, and we're done for this morning. Therefore, he says, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. Now, if you look at verse 23, it's quite interesting, because in verse 23, it doesn't say, say to a mountain. It does not say, say to the mountain. What's your Bible say? Whoever says to this mountain. Now, the area of the temple was called the Temple Mount. It's actually on a mountain, uh, Mount Moriah specifically, sometimes called Mount Zion. And Jesus has just uh, analyzed the temple. He's just commented on a a fig tree that doesn't produce fruit. Now he says they're stunned by the the fig tree. It's it's withered from the roots up. It's dead. And they have questions. And the questions in their mind are, are like, what happened? And Jesus says, just have faith. Think of all they're facing right now. He says, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and I think this could be the Temple Mount, be taken up and cast into the sea, that could speak of the Dead Sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. This mountain may speak of the Temple Mount, and the implications are quite staggering because it may mean that Jesus is praying that Jerusalem dies. And in fact, It will in less than 40 years. It's destroyed. And we cannot deny that ultimately God is responsible for what happens to Jerusalem. He judges it. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they shall be granted you. What should our prayer be right now in light of this teaching? How should we pray? Can I take us back to Hosanna? We should pray, oh, Lord, save us now. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to come back at 2.30 p.m. today and participate in this election forum because I'll tell you this, the evangelical turnout on voting has been very sad. Very sad. In fact, the last couple of elections, as I've looked at the data say that the elections could have gone differently if the evangelical church would have just risen up and been a voice. But we largely stay home oftentimes because, frankly, we're a little confused and we don't know what to do. And I think maybe for us this, uh, this afternoon will be enlightening. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we want to lift up our nation to you right now. We ask for her by name. We don't know what hour it is, only you know, Lord, but we do look around and we do see a lot of things happening. And while there's reason for optimism always because of who you are and how gracious you are, let revival start in my heart, Lord. Let it start in our households, in our marriages. Let us be a generation that sees change because it started in each house that's represented here. Those who may be hearing this message at a later time, I pray it would start with them as well. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you about Suit Up, putting on the full armor of God, a revealing look at God's armor. What this book is really about, it's written in a devotional style, and it's written to help you, the believer, to put on the full armor of God. Each piece of armor is custom made to help you in the typical ways that the enemy attacks. Each piece of armor reflects God himself. I want to get this book in your hands because I believe it's going to help you as a Christian to walk in strength, to know how to put on the armor daily, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, and to experience more victory in your Christian life. I would urge you to get the book today on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.